2: Hello and welcome to the Abroad Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by top London radio DJ and certified Japanophile, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, how the devil are you?
1: I'm great. Um, I'm full of uh, some kind of high-protein porridge uh, (laughs) that has been sent to another more popular radio DJ than me at work. So I thought, I'm having that. I'm going to try out this high-protein porridge. Um, Yeah, that's about it, really. You've been stealing freebies. I've been stealing freebies. It's what's known as the breakfast show privilege. Um, If any breakfast show host uh, who gets sent a lot of stuff uh, leaves any unattended item, any other DJ is allowed to steal it. Uh, And that's the rules, because they get paid um, (laughs) ten times more than we do. So we get to do that. And also... uh, One of the... Spectacular perks of working Hugely. in national radio, I think I could probably get away with never eating um or never buying food myself and just eating food that gets sent I mean admittedly you know you're in a building that's got like you know two hundred people and each of them have a birthday, so there's usually cake in the kitchen um but so I'd mainly be eating colin the caterpillars, but still um it's not it's not the healthiest way to live but i I
2: reckon I could probably live on just stuff I'd stolen from work. <laughs> I <laughs> I just love this image of you like loitering the corridors of Absolute Radio trying to get all this free food
1: and drink massively. And and um I used, I was doing over the summer months the drive time show. So hard to steal things. So hard to steal stationery during the day. Um but now I'm back on my 10 p.m. slot. Um the the whole the, it's only me and the cleaners and they won't tell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Very good Pete. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad, glad you've had a thing. productive no day. Joking. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um I also went to see Newcastle um, United, my favourite football team, play at Crystal Palace and I was really close to the players And we've got a Japanese uh, bloke called uh, Yoshinori Muto, and he is our first Japanese footballer. And I was
2: genuinely thinking I could just shout Gambate at him, and he'd probably know what I meant. He would be amazed, probably, that there's just this random white guy from Newcastle shouting out Japanese words. I mean,
1: can you imagine sort of being a Japanese guy in Newcastle going, what? We don't even speak English up in the northeast, for crying out loud.
2: Yes, it's it's a language I've yet to decipher. I mean, I'm still (laughs) trying to. Your language is certainly a special work. Work on your joddy your Geordie Kanji Lake. <laughs> but we do get a lot of comments from uh, from listeners from you guys actually complimenting Pete on his accent. Oh, so thanks, you guys! You're doing a good job. Mm. Your accent's not as bad as I make it out to be.
1: Well, I like it. It's a I, nice I read, friendly voice. I read the uh, the Jap- I read the um, comments on. I occasionally do IGN videos um, voiceovers, uh, and I read comments from uh, Americans, and they just think I sound Scottish. And there you go. <laughs>
2: Dear, oh dear. There so, today I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Oh. Usually we uh, we read out some news topics, but recently I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, mm. and to be more specific, Desert Island Discs, uh. um, where they interview people and talk about them going on an island and what they would take to the island. I thought we would do that, but not as good uh, this week, by talking about Japanese items and things that we would take to an island with us if we were stranded there for one year. Just you and your... ...random Japanese items. Mm. So I've got ten different things, ten different things that we want to discuss today, uh, ten potential options for you to take to the island, and we're going to work out what we would actually take. And the first one is, if you could take one Japanese games console to your desert island, what would you take, Mr. Donaldson? Um, I would take... I think there
1: was a version of the Sega Genesis slash Sega Mega Drive uh, that was released in Japan and it was like a mobile version of it. I can't remember the name of it now, but it had a um, it had a bit like... You could just put normal Mega Drive cartridges at the top of it and it ate batteries like nobody's business. I'm fairly certain it wasn't backlit, so it was dreadful to look at. Um, so yeah, probably that, because I... I kind of missed out on that generation of, of of consoles. Or maybe the N64 would probably be a good shout, because, again, my first console was a PlayStation 1, and even then we had very limited games, and it was, like, in a shared house, and we just played a bit of Pro, and a bit of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Uh, so, yeah, I I, I I reckon probably one of those three. Sorry for uh, chucking in three. Yeah,
2: you're a bit greedy. A, bit, I mean, a little bit greedy. The good thing is most games consoles are Japanese, are they not? Yeah, I pretty know pretty we've much, got yeah. Atari back in the US, uh, Xbox with Microsoft, but historically, yeah, most of the, game, most of the games console manufacturers were Japanese. Mm. Uh, so they've got a lot to choose from. And I'm going to be really boring and just go with the Nintendo Switch. Ah, oh, come I can on now. carry no. it around the island. I can, well, I was going to say I could play multiplayer on it, but it just be me on the island. So seagulls. Not really work, would it? Play a Switch one too um, some seagulls. yeah, I could uh, sit on the beach, I could sit on the mountaintop, I could take my I could go anywhere and just be on the on the switch. I've got a switch right and I keep forgetting it's a portable games console because I just play it into the TV, just like <laughs> plugged into the TV. Yeah. And I've had it for like 1 year and only last month did I realize that it's a portable games console <laughs> and I could just sort of pick it out and sort of walk around with it. So I've only really discovered how brilliant the switch is in the last few weeks just by having it for 1 year now. I'm an idiot. I um I
1: mainly play it. Sometimes when I'm editing, if I've got to listen through to something to check there's no cock ups uh, with podcasts and stuff, I'll occasionally um you know play Mario. Um, is it Mario Sunshine? What's the one that's out this generation yeah. on Switch? Yeah, Mario Sunshine, which I think is one of the best games I've ever played. I've ne- I'd never played a Mario game before, to be fair, on on its original hardware, and um I was just so impressed with just how. Just the mechanics, just stunning, really is. Um, but I've not really picked it up um, since, to be honest. I've got what have I got on there? I've got FIFA. I've played very little of Zelda. I really should bash through that. It's one of those things where if I'm on a long, um, if I'm on a long flight or something, I'll just try and get my head down. And, and I always think with the switch, yeah, I don't, what I should do is play a bit of um, Skyrim because I love that game. Um, and one of those, yeah, and that would be a perfect actually- desert island game, wouldn't it?
2: it would I've actually played Skyrim the most on the Switch probably in order of things I've played number one Skyrim number right. two Zelda and recently I've been playing L.A. Noire remember Rockstar yes,
1: Games I L.A. Noire yeah. it was much maligned uh, but that technology has never been um, never been bettered or never, never been equal certainly the, uh, the, the um, motion capture full face
2: what notery yeah. It's stunning it really is it's funny like it King came Bondi. out I think it came out 2011 so graphically it's not super-duper, but the facial animations are incredible Mm. still. And the game still holds up in terms of uh, being uh, a detective. You know, you have to sort of wander around the crime scene looking for clues and things. It feels like a kind of a smart game in some respects. You have to interview people and watch their expressions to see how guilty they are, and then that determines how you engage with them. Really cool. I never actually played it when it first came out. I always wanted to play it. Um, So I snapped it up just a few weeks ago when it was released on Switch, and it's been taking up my time time that i should be practicing for my million mile cycle i've just been sitting on the sofa playing the switch hey chris just put it on the handlebar just get a little mount for your handlebar and just play <laughs> along uh, you should
1: do that just get a little um ipad um and you could have your gps on there you could watch a couple of episodes of netflix <laughs> as you as you corral as you career into a fast, uh, so. into
2: the back of a truck
1: <laughs> yeah what a great way to go yeah watching I'm,
2: Netflix and then going into the back of a truck
1: yeah I'm sort of worried that you sort of said that I'm going to be sort of I when I sort of get there I'm going to be sort of joining you on the kind of Corbett, um Osaka route uh, pretty much that's um, right. which is kind of like I mean that's we're
2: talking big cities there I'm going to die on those rods Chris it is going to be pretty scary yeah (laughs) I'm I'm actually yeah it's going to be pretty scary that'll be the hardest bit of the cycle is cycling through cities as Mm. opposed to the countryside so it's going to be tough oh Chris anyway back to Desert Island back to my incredible Desert Island concept the second thing uh, what Japanese electronic gadget would you take to the island with you one Japanese electronic gadget Uh, of course back in the 70s 80s 90s Japanese electronics companies we're ruling the world, mm. not so much anymore, but what would you take? Well, to use, it's, 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 it's a
1: very basic need, but once you've used it, you never go back. It's rather discombobulating and rather upsetting when you first use it, but hot diggity damn, the squatty toilets, the Toro Squirty okay. toilets.
2: But then you'd have but would you have plumbing on the island to actually be able to utilize the toilet? It would toilet just program? squirt warm
1: seawater at my bum bum and I would like that immensely. That makes you sound like a deviant. Um I am a deviant, but not for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that. God. I want a squirty toilet, a squirt water at my bum bum and then a little fan to dry me off. Beautiful.
2: Living the high life on an island. <laughs> I think my my gadgets a little bit more practical. I'll take a Tamagotchi Remember oh, Tamagotchi yes. from
1: the nineties? Does that not count as another um, Japanese games console, though? Really,
2: fundamentally? Well, not really. Uh, They're like a little egg-sized thing. Well, egg-sized thing. My thinking is, I can't have a real-life animal on the island, but I could have like a Tamagotchi, who I could raise and feed and love, and it would be like my Wilson, like yeah. on uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks, and he's got the, the football Wilson to keep him company. I would have my Tamagotchi Terry. Chris, keep me, keep my sanity in place, Chris. We tarry all know.
1: We all know. Look, you're, you're a temperate man. Um, you can suffer fools gladly, but that Tamagotchi would be in the sea within three days. <laughs> Hide in the sea. Yeah, and unlike Wilson, dashed on would the Would it be waterproof? No, it? exactly. <laughs> it would instantly drown. Um, and you know, is- R.I.P. Tamagotchi.
2: When I was growing up in the 90s, and Tamagotchis were all the rage, I got one that mm. like, I forgot to feed it, and it died after 24 hours. Well, there you go. And I think it was it was like a real life Tamagotchi. If it died, you couldn't bring it back. Well, you couldn't reset the game. I remember it just died, and I couldn't switch it back on, and I got really angry. And it was in the bin after 48 hours. You can surely and, reset, uh, them. yeah. That would be madness. They, it, it, well, kids, you think so? But parents I, I, honestly, would be up in arms. We,
1: you can get it working open again Open up the it battery cover died. There'll be a reset button Go back to where you were You know 10 years old You open up that battery cover There'll be a secret little
2: reset button It just will be It's just just one of those things <laughs> Well when we invent Time travel Yeah I know to go back To 1999 That's the first thing p- you'll do pick up the Tamagotchi And bring it back to life Yeah Kill baby Hitler A worthy trip through time <laughs> Yeah Don't kill Hitler Fix the Tamagotchi <laughs> and change time and space Forever Yeah irreparably Um, All right. next thing what Japanese car would you take to an island with you um oh uh, I'll level with you Chris which is problematic given you can't even drive I can't
1: even drive but I imagine there'll be no one to tell me off if I do get in a car as long as it's not stick I think I'll be fine but yeah I
2: mean it's it's, it's, driving around crashing into coconut trees (laughs) nobody would be there to (laughs) lambast you for your crap driving but you will have a car and what would that car be
1: um, I, again, I, oh,
2: I, I've got no,
1: I've got no, I, one of those little baby ones, you know, those little baby ones that, like, people K sort of, what, K-Car, yeah, that, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know who owns that.
2: It was like a little, a smaller car, like, in Japan you have normal cars, yeah. and then you have K-Cars, which are, like, little weird boxy cars under 10, under 1,000cc, usually. Yeah, um, one of them. They're really small, but they're very popular with young people travelling in cities. You get one of those. yeah. So. I'm right, give and, me that. and, and oh, is Lotus Japanese, they not, are they?
1: That's the only car I've ever coveted, Lotus. a Lotus, a Lotus Esprit, uh, really sort of boxy, I... 80s sports car. Now that is something else.
2: Is that Japanese? No, God no, probably not. <laughs> right, no, you can't have that, screw <laughs> you. What I would take is the Toyota oh, Hilux, the... Uh, the indestructible car as seen on Top Gear. I don't know if you ever watched Top Gear. Back in Series 3, they had this Toyota pickup truck, uh, Toyota Hilux, mm. often used by terrorists because the car, the, the pickup kind of van, it just will not die. Right. And in Top Gear, they drove it into the sea and left it underwater they still managed to bring it back to life. They dropped a caravan on it. They set fire to it. And they even got a crane, winched it onto the roof of an apartment block that then got demolished <laughs> with the car on top. And they still got the engine running and they were still able to drive it. So Brilliant. I would take that Toyota Hilux uh, indestructible van and even if I did drive it off a cliff or smash it into a palm tree nothing would stand in my way Isn't that ever. incredible? It's Apart like, from you and your crappy K car, which I could smash into.
1: <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's the thing. With Top Gear, I can't stand the hosts. Um, I can't stand, you know, people who fucking bum cars. Uh, but it's, it's still... <laughs> the, the concept and the execution is quite good. So I can sort of enjoy it on one level. But my God the people on there. Good God. But it's just... But I quite enjoy... Well, the you concept. either love it's them difficult or hate them, really. Well, I mean, you definitely hate them. <laughs> it's just... It's... Yeah, it's such a great show, but... Ugh. It, 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 the show manages to survive even though the hosts are so Brexit. They're just so Brexit. No matter what their feelings are about the whole concept of Brexit, they're so Brexit.
2: <laughs> oh, dear. You and your... <laughs> Political views, yeah. sneaking back in. Sneaking
1: back in. Uh, let's move on to <laughs> the, next, the next section.
2: <laughs> I remember the other week when we were talking about gender, we actually got <sighs> some people who stopped listening to the podcast because we defended women's rights. And Oh, really? They were little, a bit little incel, yeah, I, little incel I forgot, pricks. I forgot to talk about that, actually. Yeah. Fuck them, yeah, Chris. We talked about how, we talked about how Japanese... The, um, Tokyo Medical School rigged the exams mm. in favour of men, mm. uh, which was obviously mental. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. and was outrage. Uh, and we defended, you know, we kind of said, that's a bad thing, that's mm. awful. And then there were people on the Facebook post saying, oh, you're so liberal. I was like, that's not being liberal, that's being a <laughs> fucking normal person. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, a few people said, well, I'm not going to listen to the podcast because of that. And I thought, great, well, I don't yeah, yourself care, care, mate. You're not going to have a nice time, then, I, are you? I was just shocked with people getting mm. angry about... Us calling out. You just the assume that people are listening. Rigging yeah. exam results.
1: Yeah, you just assume that
2: people Fair are on I the same page. But when they're not, you're like, oh my god, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to a more happy topic. Happy what topic. What Japanese film would you take with you to the island?
1: Akira. I am not of a course. big fan of um, uh, anime or anything like that. I don't really understand it. It doesn't really speak to me. But um, when I was a kid watching Akira, I was like, oh, this looks so cool. Um, and it continues to be so cool. It was like a re-release, wasn't it? It was like a 4K re-release of, of the thing. Which kind of weirdly, when they released that sort of uh, manga or anime, uh, rather, on um, on like a high-def format, you sort of go, yeah, it was still photographed at a, quite a low resolution, so it doesn't really add
2: much to it, I think. Mm, mm. It's You know, I've only seen Akira once, and it was a cool film. Although I got a bit fed up of them shouting out the name Tetsuro! <laughs> what was it, Tetsuro and yeah, the other one? Canada. So. Canada. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I remember from like two hours. Just
1: Tetsuro. Well, I was I
2: was a big fan Kaneda. of like, um, For like an hour or two. I was a big fan
1: of like Don Bluth and Disney animation stuff back in the day, uh, and I guess I got Eric Schwartz who used to do animation on the Amiga So I was a big animation fan, and um, when I first started watching Akira, I was like, oh my god, what's this? Like five frames per second, lazy shits. But once you get into it, you're like, oh, this is really goddamn cool. It makes everything look amazing. Um, I really should go back and watch that, to be honest. It's me giving it the big licks about it being my favourite film.
2: <laughs> well, it's a solid film. My film would be Tampopo by Juzo Itami. Oh, yes. The ramen western with Ken Watanabe in, uh, where they go to a little woman's ramen shop and they turn it around. Um, it's it's a western because the the two truck drivers, one of which is Ken Watanabe, they kind of turn up, they go in and... Uh, they, yeah, they kind of come into this town, come into this woman's ramen shop and just turn it around. And all the little challenges and hurdles they face are just really comical and witty. And I watch it at least once a year, but really? I find I never get bored of it because the humour's pretty funny. Uh, there's lots of random scenes cut into it with people having bizarre relationships with food. Um, and it's just got a really kind of satirical, funny tone to it. A bit of a sort of absurdist sense of humour that I find I just I can still enjoy year after year, so I take Tampopo.
1: Lovely. Well, you you suppose that dandelion. Oh, does it Tanpopo.
2: Yeah, oh, that's, that's what a lovely name. That's what a the name lovely of a ramen shop. Tampon ramen.
1: ramen. I mean, dandelion you don't want ramen. you don't want that in your ramen. You just don't want it. <laughs> dandelion and burdock. No, you want that in your ramen shop to go along with your ramen. Delicious. If we,
2: when the day comes when you invent your own ramen shop. We know what to expect now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that with the coolish ice cream mixed into it somewhere. Definitely, inevitably. Yes. What about a Japanese song?
0: Fifth Ooh. thing,
2: Japanese song you would take with you to the island. Japanese song. It might um, be tough because I don't think you know a lot of Japanese music.
1: No, um, I quite like. I think we spoken about High Standard before. Um, I quite like them, and uh, but probably that Stop Winnie song, which is really good, which was. Um, not Minus the Bear. What were they bloody called? I can't remember the bloody band now, but we've spoken about it. I played a little bit at the end of uh, one of the podcasts. Stop, 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 a
2: weenie. <laughs> See, I was expecting you to say something a little bit erratic and weird, like the Pokemon soundtrack.
1: Oh, yeah, um, I guess that sort of counts. Uh, I probably, uh, Ulysses. you the sort of Ulysses, the, uh, the, the, I could see listening to that. The theme tune to Ulysses uh, back in the day. I presume that was a Japanese cartoon at the start. Um, um, that's a kick-ass soundtrack. If you've ever, you ever Google Ulysses uh tv show cartoon um there's some beautiful um music on that
2: i would well i would take um as i mentioned before i'm into my kind of city pop funk music mm. and the king of funk music in japan is tatsuro yamashita and the song that i would take by him is ride on time go on youtube and listen to it after this ride on time by tatsuro yamashita it's just very funky and i could just it's very kind of Upbeat and funky, and I could picture it having it like on as I just sort of jump around the island all day <laughs> on my switch, riding around <laughs> in my Toyota Hilux pickup truck, it's, it's, listening to Ride On Time.
1: Yeah, it's not very um, a dream, but it's not very kind of desert islandy, is it? It's not relaxing. Well, I guess it is relaxing. But it's kind of well, funky.
2: I think you've got to bring the island to life. If mm. you're going to be stuck on an island on your own, you're gonna you're gonna need some some activity. You're gonna need some sort of excitement, and that song would capture that perfectly. <laughs> That or the Pokemon theme tune. Pokemon. Did you see they
1: released a uh, new Pokemon? They've they've, uh, got a new Pokemon that looks like a. It looks like a kind of a a nut, from a nut and a bolt. Uh, A nut uh, like with a floating kind of gob of kind of metallic stuff. I can't remember his name. He got his. It it was like a a preview kind of video that somebody spotted this new Pokemon, Um, and then um, they finally revealed it yesterday. Um, rather an underwhelming looking Pokemon, has to be said. But maybe he'll he'll evolve into something better. A bigger nut,
2: maybe. Well, I mean, I can't believe Pokemon's still a thing. <laughs> I was walking around Sendai Station yesterday, and there's people, you know, playing the uh, Pokemon Go yeah. game in full swing. When it first came out, I um, I didn't really know a whole lot about Pokemon Go, the app on your phone where it uses uh, augmented reality, right? Mm. Where you can see Pokemon on screen on the camera. And I was walking past Sendai Station, and I saw like 200 people... No joke, 200 people crowded around the exit. I thought there'd been an earthquake, or I thought there'd been some sort of emergency mm. or a fire, and everybody had had to run out the building. But when I looked closer, they were all playing bloody Pokemon Go. They it blew my Pokemons. mind. Pokemons. <laughs> I've never actually... It yeah. feels like Pokemon will never die. It's, <laughs> it's still a thing. And that's why I'm going to make you choose which Pokemon you would take to the island with you Ooh. and why, Mr. Uh guys. One Pokemon.
1: I mean, again, mine's Why? very first generation, watching it in my student house and going, oh, this is rather quaint. Um, Jigglypuff. Is that the one who draws on people's faces? Jigglypuff, that one. Uh, isn't that the one that just jiggles around and sings and makes people go to sleep? Yes, and
2: then he draws really on. I'm, sure, I'm sure
1: he draws on their faces when they go to sleep. Um, I might be ride um, the mark what, on that one. Literally everyone's just screaming at their uh, podcast machine at this point. But yeah, I think. What benefit might- would that have?
2: It's funny you, you're it? on
1: an island. So you could, if a um, it's funny in it. If if like a monkey falls asleep, you could draw on its face. Right. <laughs> I love the way you're building up this
2: island. Every minute it gets it gets a lot more exciting. Fish now there's pranked. monkeys on the island. Yeah. Now there's you monkeys You can draw on the their face yeah. while they're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that shows how different you and I are mm. to some extent. You want a Pokemon that draws on people's faces. I actually want one pragmatically, pragmatically, practically that can do something. Uh, I've chosen Charmander. The one that has uh, the ability to use fire. Fire, yes. And the reason I chose Charmander is because I can cook things. Yeah, on a tail. And go and yeah, catch a fish, like pull it over Charmander's tail, burn <laughs> the fish, cook it. Job done, isn't it? <laughs> I could have chosen, could have chosen Charizard or Charmeleon. The Charmeleon's the version before Charmander, mm. and Charizard's the one after. But they're both too big and too small. If I had a Charizard, I think that's a bit too overkill, isn't right, it? Right, yeah, Having yeah, A fully yeah, evolved Charmeleon, yeah. Charmeleon. Charizard would be too much high-maintenance. I think Charmander would be just right and would be perfect for cooking things. So that's who I would choose. He'd be unwieldy. He'd cause trouble, I think. But still, if I, I quite like the idea of being on the island with you. Me with my Charmander... You with your Jigglypuff, <laughs> and I could burn Jigglypuff alive. Draw my fucking face. Jigglypuff is <laughs> Just a post, classy. Put it on a stick and roast it. Over no, no! Nobody wants tail. to hear that. That's the one thing people wanted to hear on this podcast. Really. <laughs> what about drink? drink. Uh, non-alcoholic Japanese drink. What would you take? With Calpis. You? A year's supply of this drink.
1: Calpis. It's got all your nutrients. Calpiss. All all the major yogurt groups. <laughs>
2: I don't think it's at all I don't think it's got any nutritional value no, whatsoever, not, to be honest but it is delicious
1: Oh, it's nice it's I, probably re- I read actually
2: it. I don't even know if it's got that I read it came under fire a few months ago because people uh, wrote online there's, somebody's post went viral I think mm. on Twitter that they'd drunk uh, cow piss and then it sort of it, it stayed in their mouth and hardened or something and gone all horrible and Ooh. weird and people realised that if you drink a lot of cow piss it kind of stays in your mouth and gives it a weird texture or something. I don't I've I've never found that. I drink Calpis every now and then. Well, it's like uh, yeah, again, if you Calpis keep... is a drink. <laughs> not a horrible sounding
1: something else. Uh, if you yeah, I guess if you keep it in your mouth, yeah, that would sort of make your mouth a bit furry because it's you know it's, it's got milk in it, hasn't it? Or some kind of um protein
2: like that. I uh, yeah, I've always wondered. I think it's just a yogurt based drink. Mm. It's quite refreshing. As for me, it's a tough one between Picari Sweat uh, obviously I could stay hydrated on this hot island. Um or rumaneer, you know rumney The um bubblegum flavoured little oh, bottles we have. to the little, the little glass, Smack the top the glass and the ball bowl. goes in and it sort of pops. Yeah. 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 And I think I could be entertained on the island just by smashing the like balls into rumney all the time, smashing the lids in. I think well, you like could thumb. you could harvest the so, balls
1: and then make a rudimentary snooker table. <laughs>
2: I think. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The rum Definitely rum there. You've mm, sold it to me now. Hugely, massively. But you're jealous. I've got <laughs> rum there and you haven't. What about a Japanese alcoholic beverage? One alcoholic beverage Ooh. you can take a year's supply of this beverage. What would it be? Um well, I
1: mean, as I said, I think we've made it very clear that my trips to Japan mainly involved drinking, but uh, so so anything that gets me back on it the trips day to after Japan? that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <Just> when <any>, he <laughs> day in general (laughs) don't be rude I'm not a drinker really Um, I'm a binge drinker (laughs) Um, uh, but when I'm on hold it the weekend certainly I am partying so um, anything anything that helps me deal with the night after because it's always a lot harder to get back on it um, the night after so um, anything that's easy to drink like a hard cider or a chew high or something so kid in hard cider yeah
2: let's have a bit of that in my mouth yeah it's quite nice Mm. it's quite a nice drink yeah it only came out, I think, after two years of me living in Japan. Um, of course, when I first came here, I wanted cider so badly, but they don't have it here. Um, and hard cider, when it came out, it was like my saviour. So, <laughs> As for me, though, I would take umeshu. I'll take plum wine, just because it's very refreshing. Oh, yeah. On a hot day, I could sit there on a the beach on my little desert island with my Toyota and my plum wine, and it'd be glorious, and that would be nice. It's yeah, the first Japanese... Alcohol drink, alcoholic drink that I actually took a liking to. So yeah, but then you would, um, but on then one. you would
1: crash a car because
2: you'd be drunk. You might kill a monkey, and there'd be no one there. And as there'd we already there, yeah. ascertained, the Toyota Hilux is indestructible, so I could get twatted, <laughs> drive it around, <laughs> crash it off a cliff, set it on fire with Charmander, and the bloody car would still be standing. the yeah. end of it. So <laughs> you like the S. Thompson, driving around drunk and off your head on mescal.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the dream. What about a candy? Japanese candy? Oh, candy brand. Uh, I'm a big fan. There's one called
1: uh, Caramel Corn, uh, which are tiny Caramel little croissants. <laughs> they're like tiny little croissant shapes, and they taste so buttery, uh, and they, they've got peanuts in them as well. And uh, they're just—I don't think I've ever had those. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I can't I've remember. Had them. I can't remember who actually makes them, what company. But if you ever see that, yeah, I've never seen them abroad. I've only ever seen them in um, like Japanese supermarkets over here. Um, but they're delicious.
2: Well, I think I would take Kit Kat Sake. I know Kit Kats are s- Nestle, which is Swiss, but mm. Kit Kat Sake flavour is a variant special to Japan. I read, actually, that recently they've uh, they've got, like, a famous Sake Brewery from Hyogo Prefecture, where Kobe is. Oh, nice. Uh, to put this really nice premium Sake into the Kit Kats. And they were already incredibly addictive and wonderful. Like, I'd get a whole box and they'd be gone in about four minutes mm. Uh, when Kit Kat sake flavor came out, but it'd be nice. I could kill two birds with one stone. I'd have my kind of nice biscuit, chocolate biscuit, but also I'd have a hint of sake. So I could have technically I could have like two alcoholic drinks, right? I've got my umeshu plum wine, and I've got my hint of sake. So it's like yeah. a little sexy cocktail. Feel like I can cheat my way around it.
1: It's delicious. Yeah. I'm just um, googling the the caramel corn. Tohato make it. Tohato. Um, and Toharto. Toharto. and they've got different flavours actually I think um, there's a green one that's got to be wasabi um, and I think there's a more caramelly flavour or possibly an egg I don't know it's always risky but um, yeah Tohato caramel corn delicious um, or those little high chews that are like kind of squidgy at the top at the f- there's like a middle bit to it that was quite refreshing Those um, I'm a big fan of um, is it Blackjack? they're really good the, yeah br- the brand of um, chewing gum uh, blackjack kind of yeah. it's chewing gum with um, caffeine in it they're always quite helpful
2: don't they stain your teeth black though nah surely not they're already black <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and the last thing a real this is probably the most difficult question you'll face right. you can take either a takoyaki maker so you can make fried octopus balls to your heart's content mm. or a tempura fryer where you can deep fat fry things quickly Takoyaki, my friend. You're not giving me that. That's just a
1: stupid choice. I'd have no... You know, you need to have... Um, you need to have... Like, just frying something is no kind of uh, skill. But takoyaki. I'd be the best takoyaki maker with the little sticks, flicking them around. Wonderful.
2: You wouldn't have a lot else to do, would no, you? No, exactly. So I'd be a, a, a takoyaki busy. guy. See, as for me, I would love the tempura fryer because... Uh, in Japan they pretty much tempura fry most things like one of the most popular things is like a leaf (laughs) I remember getting tempura originally I thought it was just like ebby you know shrimp Mm. um but they do everything. You get like a leaf and you can put it in tempura batter and it's wonderful. Mm. Take something that's healthy and completely rob it of its nutritional value and make it delicious. <laughs> that would be my dream. I could go around the island, find obscure things like coconuts and monkeys and just put them in the deep fat fryer and have tempura <laughs> all day long. Delicious.
1: That would yeah. be my dream. They, they, do, they do batter very well in Japan, don't they? It's very light, very fluffy. Not too heavy, not too greasy. Yeah.
2: It's the first Japanese food I ever had, actually. And that sold me on the country. So. <laughs> I had tempura batter, and that got me into Japanese culture. Um, good, wow, well, there you go, Pete. I enjoyed that. hope you have enjoy your time on the island mm. with your monkeys and your Jigglypuff and your takoyaki. A
1: couple of you still <laughs> switch. So I had to say, so I'm gonna have to take like a, that weird Sega Genesis, a crappy games
2: console that mm. I don't know anything about. Yeah. I'm sure it's good. Actually. Nomad, I think I might um, really call but nomad. it might have been. But it's time. <laughs> nomad might have been. Speedy vocabulary, Pete. I. We brought this back last week after a hiatus, and I think, given that you're going to be on an island, the one word you need to know this week, speedy vocabulary, is island. What's oh. island in Japanese? <sighs> um, mm,
1: I th- uh, um Fukushima, Kagoshima,
2: Shima. Must be Shima. Oh, good. Well done. Hmm, you've. Once again, you've exceeded my, <laughs> you've outrun my expectations. <laughs> well done. Yeah, no. Shima. Um, Matsushima, Kagoshima, Tobishima. It's, yeah, the word Shima. It's often placed after uh, another kanji character to give you the name. So, like I said, Kagoshima. Um, one thing is it does change sometimes to Jima. Oh, uh, because in Japanese, In the Japanese language. Yeah, Iwo Jima or Jima battleship island oh. as seen in the uh, James Bond movie Skyfall your favorite uh, James Bond movie i hear
1: <laughs> keeps changing skyfall
2: <laughs> keeps changing that's what i keep hearing your favorite James Bond film i'm not an ad skyfall uh, it's a bit of a letdown mm. but i yeah one thing in japanese they do change the character to if it, if it sounds more natural mm. so I mean, if you try and say uh iwashima doesn't sound right it sounds difficult right mm, you need a Iwashi, stronger Iwashi. so they changed the that's right so they changed the s to the j and you've got iwo jima so yeah
1: it, it would be the same hiragana wouldn't it but it would just have an accent on
2: it because it changes the she to a g that's right It'd be this it's the same kanji character mm. yeah all oh, right uh and you kind of you kind of work it out where the character changes where the, the um, consonant changes as you go along again japanese language very logical uh and it's quite fun when you see that but yeah. yeah Shima Jima Island remember
1: that if you want to um useful if you, Use and you might notice that uh, mountain is yama a lot of the time uh, like Fujiyama yama yama yeah, yama
2: yeah Fujiyama uh, yeah yama is mountain yeah Yamagata where I used to live literally means mountain shape oh nice Yamagata And to my surprise, I stumbled across a secret, sexy club. Wow. We have two questions today from the fax machine. What is the first one, Mr. Donaldson? The first one is from uh, Dimitri from Moscow, Russia. Hello, uh, Dimitri.
1: Uh, I've never listened to a podcast before. Wow, but it's... Uh, not only have we got uh dimitri into um the abroad japan podcast we have just got him into podcasts in general it's now become my weekly tradition i usually listen to listen to it uh, during my lunch break at work and people around me give me strange looks i guess they wonder why do i look so happy while eating a boring meal <laughs> brilliant uh, i've got to japan with a couple of friends in april 2019 not for the uh, sorry for the first time and uh, there is one thing that bothers me a little i don't know whether you're aware or not but japan and russia have never actually signed a peace treaty after the events of world war Two. so our countries are still technically at the state of war Ah, we still have some disagreements Mm. about a couple of islands northeast of Hokkaido, uh, which seems uh, like not to be a big problem for either us or the Japanese people in general. Um, There are a lot of people uh, in Russia who think we should uh, just give them these islands because it will obviously not hurt us, but at the same time, uh, it will be a good conclusion for the dispute that that lasts almost 80 years. Have any Japanese people you met ever shared their thoughts about the situation, or maybe they just don't care, or is there nothing to worry about?
2: Yeah, I can't remember the name of the islands I think it might be the Kuril Islands mm. maybe I'm wrong there yeah I think that is the Kuril Islands um after World War II of course Japan got kind of taken over by different powers and the Russians turned up and the Soviet Union turned up and took over uh, the islands in the north never gave them back and yeah it's amazing I think there's no uh, treaty that's been signed between Russia and Japan after all these years even though relations are pretty good between the two countries generally yeah uh Japanese people I speak to don't really care about this that much at all, i found. They care more about the islands in the south where there's disputes with China and with with Korea uh, because they're a lot more strategic and valuable um, in terms of oil and coal and, you know, assets. But, yeah, the islands in the north, no one really cares. But that said, Shinzo Abe, Japanese prime minister, whenever he meets Putin, he always brings it up and it always looks like something's going to happen, there's going to be a treaty, uh, but then nothing does happen. Mm. And obviously, I don't think Putin's going to want to just hand over some lovely islands to the Japanese government, um, so because it would, it wouldn't look good for him. No, you know, I mean I mean nato- territory territory like nationalism that, is so. very much uh, uh, his only
1: his only uh, card really that he plays frequently because uh, he, he hasn't yeah not provided any economic stability in the, in his tenure, uh, not in the
2: last few years. No. But um, yeah, so that's that's one thing there. So know. yeah, nobody really minds about it though, and I don't think. As a, as a Russian coming to Japan, I don't think it's going to be a problem. <laughs> so don't worry about that, Dimitri. Yeah. But uh, do have a great time in Japan, Dimitri, in April 2019. Yay. Have a good one. Enjoy. Uh, last question is from Helen. Uh, she says, hello, Chris and Pete. I love listening to your podcast while drawing or while traveling with the bus in the city. I live in, oh, this is a difficult word, I live in Thessaloniki, Mm. Greece's second largest city, with no metro, which can be frustrating as you have to use some almost destroyed buses from the 1980s. Um, (laughs) My question is about Japanese society. I hear a lot that Japanese society is an oppressive one uh, in comparison with most European societies. Is that true? And if it is, what are the things a foreigner would find the most difficult to accept or be accustomed with? Helen. That's a good question. Mm. Um, Oppressive? uh, I kind of see what you're getting at. I wouldn't necessarily call Japan Japanese society oppressive, at least not by the standards of the Japanese. Anyway, uh, I think maybe that's a tough one. I think it's because Japanese people are much more accountable to society within Japan, um, and there's a lot more rigid structures in place. You know, you've got your family, and you've got the society as a whole. Um, in some, re- in some respects, it does feel like uh, your humanity is taken away a little bit. For example, when I was a teacher, um, one thing that would always happen every year was my students would have to prepare for interviews, either for university or college or jobs that they were going into. And for uh, to, when you go into university or if you go into a job, for the application process, you have to go in and have a very formal kind of interview. And by formal, I say... It's almost to some extent, it feels very militaristic. The door opens, you walk in, you bow, you say kind of, which means i rude sorry for, you know, rudely interrupting or rudely coming into the room. Mm. And then they'll be very formal and sort of stand there and say their name. And it's, it doesn't feel like a natural interview like we know it, right? Where interviews often quite informal in the West. Yeah. Like that always took me by surprise, the way students were almost drilled uh, in that kind of robotic militaristic fashion it was almost like a soldier giving a report to a sergeant or something so i didn't really like that but i wouldn't call japan oppressive necessarily i'd say there's just a lot more expectations from society in in place um as a community as a cult as a collectivist community Mm. uh, and you're accountable to a lot more people as a result so there's a lot more pressure from above um do know what what's your two cents Mr. Donaldson? Yeah, I think
1: I think oppression oppression can also extend to just how difficult it is to you know post a letter or or put, take something out of your bank account uh, just filling out forms um you know getting a, a rental property um paying a tithe to the landlord and stuff like that these sort of systems that are there to just make things more difficult it's not it's not freeing in that in that sense so maybe um maybe that could mm. sort of
2: um Go along with it, I guess. Bureaucratic is the word. Yeah. I mean, bureaucratic feels like the more accurate word there. Like, Japan is heavily bureaucratic. There's mm. so many bloody documents that we all have like electronic chips for things in the UK now, for things like passports or whatever. Uh, documents can all be done online. Whereas in Japan, it does feel a lot more uh, complex. There's a lot more like pieces of paper to sign. And yeah. it's just uh, when you're doing things like taxes, it can be a bit nightmarish and certainly not fun. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge as a foreigner. You've got a lot of paperwork to deal with a lot more than you would back home. Mm. And that's certainly one thing that drives me mad and has done over the years, you know, for things like visas or taxes. Yeah. It can be a never ending nightmare of putting in documents and filling in things repeatedly over and over. And it drives me fucking mad. (laughs) Um, But other than that, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I'd say. Very bureaucratic. (laughs) Yes. but not too oppressive. No, no. Ah, oh, well. Today. Feels like a big topic there. I think that's something we'll discuss <laughs> in a lot more detail. But uh, I think, yeah, I think if you come to Japan, it'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Enjoy. I'm just excited. I didn't know Greece's second largest city was called Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, they, they, they All don't, I know is they're, Athens. They're, so. uh, yeah, sort of, I can't remember which parts of Athens I've actually explored.
1: But yeah, I remember um, buses were a big, a big deal. You couldn't really get around otherwise.
2: Yeah, mm. I feel like I've learned something of value here Aye. on this podcast this week uh, but if you have questions you want to send in to us guys Japan podcast at gmail.com and also if you want to take part in our little desert island challenge uh, let us know what things you would take to the island mm. on our list of 10 things but for now, that's all we'll be back same time next week, next Wednesday but for now, no matter where you might be out there in the big wide world have yourself a wonderful week we'll see you next one very well.
1: Bye.